Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott is not here as he normally would be. We're trying something different. As we mentioned on the last episode, we have decided to make a trade and I'm willing to say that I have won the trade. Scott is over with Ryan on Rocks Across the Pond to talk about the European Championships, the men's side, and Jonathan Havercroft, the professor of Peel, is joining me from across the Atlantic Ocean. Jonathan, how are you? I'm great. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit late here. Well, not that late. It's only eight, but uh, yeah, it's good to do this, I think. Yeah, this was a really good idea. Yeah. This is uh, your idea. After we met here in Ottawa, you were here playing in a spiel as part of your English national team to uh, to make this trade. And, and as I said, I think I won the trade. That's that's flattering. I think Ryan's uh, Ryan's the more professional podcast host. I got to say, but yeah, <laughs> I think I'm looking forward to this, and I'm glad we got the women too. That was the I find I think they're the more interesting pool. The so yes, I agree. Maybe we'll kind of talk about why as we get on, but uh, yeah. So so let's talk first off about one of the reasons that you and I are talking about the women is that there was a sense that you might be a little too invested in the men's side of this event. Well, <laughs> so England curling is very small. So I know everyone playing for England uh, in both events, and I kind of I guess I've got vested interests in all sides. Uh, I guess Ryan thought I was too vested with how Team Reed did. So <laughs> I don't I actually don't think it's that big of a deal because so we are going to play against them in the English men's in February, but if Reed so Reed brought Team England up last year to the A pool for the first time in over a decade. And uh if they they basically got a grab top 7 I think to get to worlds and that's kind of been his personal goal he's he's told me that for years so uh if they were to do that they would still get to go to the worlds even if we were to beat them uh in february so i don't think there's that much of a conflict of interest but you secretly really want them to do poorly right to to increase your stakes or your your rankings within english curling right like secretly no, it's the opposite. If they, we, we need them to stay up. So like, if they got relegated back down, the path to Worlds is a lot harder. Okay. So, you know, that's kind of maybe a good segue to talk about how the Euros are structured because it's, it's a pretty complicated and bureaucratic uh, system. Yeah, <laughs> it's getting so, more yeah. complicated every year. Yeah, yeah, so let's talk about it because... For us in North America, it's it's a little straightforward, right? The you know in Canada, you win the province, you go to the nationals. In the U.S., it's a little different, but relatively straightforward. For the European Championships, there is a lot going on and a lot of moving parts, and part of it's already happened. Is that right? Uh, so yeah, I guess if you mean by the Euro Seas, yeah, so you're referring to, or yeah. yeah, so they happen in May. So the, the next Euro Seas will be next May. So they happen in May, and that determines the the top, the bottom two teams that get placed to B. So if you, the bottom two teams in the B pool will get relegated out of the Euros. They'll have to go play another tournament uh, in an unknown location in May against a bunch of other teams, to, and the top two from that come back up. So it's Europe's now divided into three pools, so A, B, and C. And okay, so, so in theory... 
in theory, yeah. a team can go from sea all the way to the worlds. That doesn't happen often, but the the famous one was Rasmus Sterna dragged Denmark from the sea pool all the way to uh, the, the silver medal uh, a few yeah. years ago. So that actually is possible. And lost the silver medal, lost the gold medal game to Kui. So for the teams then in the B division of this or, or the C division, the motivation is to get to that next level. And the ultimate goal of this is the world championship, right? Uh, getting to a world championship is huge. Uh, there's also a lot of countries now that have full-on Olympic programs, even in the B pool. So one example is when I was at the mix, I bumped into Tony Zumak, who appeared in our podcast last year, he used to be coaching uh, head coach of British curling for the last cycle, went to China for a year, and now has been hired by the Turkish Curling Federation and is in Ezerum, I'm going to mangle the name, but in Turkey, uh, running their high-performance program now. And both their teams are in the B pool. And they're hiring a top-level coach because they want to get their teams into the A pool and then into the Olympics. And how many teams out of that A pool get Olymp- – or not Olympic, the uh, first the world championship berths? I can't it, – so it's going to vary. The rules are really complex. I, I forgot to look at that before we came on the podcast. But so one of the weird wrinkles of the Worlds is the bottom-placed zone in last year's Worlds loses a slot. And so I think Europe finished last on the women's side. So I think they'll only have six teams this year at, Euro, at, at Worlds or maybe seven. And then I think the Asia-Pacifics now get three. And then uh, on the men's side, because Asia Pacific's uh, finished last with Korea finishing last, I think Europe has seven spots this year, if I'm correct. Yeah. So out of the let me get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So out of the ten teams, seven get spots. Yeah. <clears throat> so going off last year, be seven get spots in the sorry, <clears throat> excuse me, seven get spots in the worlds. Uh, the then two spot, then two teams get so then eight and nine would get to go to the world qualification event. The tenth place team would get relegated and get nothing, and one and two from the B pool also go to the world qualification event. Okay, and then so for next year though, the team that finishes ninth in the A pool would be relegated, but could still in theory get to the world championship by going to that last chance event. Yeah. So they've got like, one kick. At, they've got one last kick at the can. Yeah, like would it be weird? I, this is like probably impossible. But say like for whatever reason, like Anna Hasselberg has food poisoning and can't play all week, and they go one and nine, so they finish in ninth place. Go to yeah. the qualification event, win the qualification event, get into the world championships, win the world championships. Then next year they would have to play in the B. Yeah, <laughs> it can happen. Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a muddle. <clears throat> so it's it's um, and then it goes out of the last cycle. So there's just so many more teams now that want to go to the the that are kind of competing, and so they keep adding layers on this. And so the one rule the WCF has is every member federation is capable of winning the world championship in a given year. Just your path is harder based on based on. Um, you know how you placed in last year's uh, regional championships. So it's, it it really is a complicated system. It really like it, it's one of these things where, it, and I have to say that one of the reasons why it's probably good that it's a little complicated, and what we can talk about this is Scott and I talked when we were ta- looking at the tour challenge. 
that it wasn't really an interesting event for us because we had just seen it essentially the exact same thing two weeks before, at least for the Tour Challenge Tier 1. When I was looking at this compared to last year's, the only real difference in the A side is the two teams who got it promoted from B. Everyone else is the exact same. We're just running back essentially the same tournament as last year with one exception with Denmark as last year. It's just everyone's a year older and a couple minor roster changes. So is that one of the things in terms of a fan perspective, you know, Briar, Scotty's every year, there's a depth in each province that you're going to get different teams for, for the, the field. This just feels like a lot of the same over and over again. And now you're part of it. Is, is that something that gets discussed by the players or the federations, the, the national federations in terms of as a fan event and trying to get people interested in it, there doesn't seem to be a lot of diversity of personality in the field. I, I actually don't think it's been, I think it's been like that way for, you know, ages, right? Like if you just dial back a generation, Norway was always represented by Doherty Norby and Andreas Schopp was always right. skipping Germany. Uh, for a lot of these countries, the depth's not, not really there, right? So like Scotland, like the, the gap between Sophie Jackson and Eve Muirhead's still pretty large. And then after Sophie Jackson, there's not really another team that could, could qualify, I don't think. Um, you know, maybe with Sweden, with Warana kind of catching up and starting to close the gap, that that kind of becomes an interesting challenge. And certainly Switzerland's kind of a, a little bit of a battle at least. But um, aside from that, yeah, most of the women's teams and most of the, the, the A division countries are pretty much the same year in, year out. Yeah, so let's get into the field then. And we're going to talk about them by order of merits and in reverse order. And we'll go through each of the teams and talk about what we expect from them and we'll look at what they did last year so let's start with team denmark and this is the one team that is different from last year it's skipped by matilde hulse who i could actually not find them on the order of merit <laughs> at all uh, but she was the lead for madeline dupont at the 2017 and 18 euros the 2018 olympic games she played in the world junior c event last year in january went six and zero in that event in the round robin before losing to hungary in the quarterfinals so as a junior team given your coaching jonathan i'm going to assume that you're somewhat familiar with her yeah i know i've saw i've seen them there they've been there i, I can't remember they were definitely there last year obviously so we watched them um i mean they're good i think they're still junior i think she's like 19 so i think this is the Danish junior team. And so this is an example of a country that kind of can put out one really strong team, but then doesn't have the depth. So I think Madalena Dupont is, I'm not quite sure why she stepped aside, but she did. And obviously the decision was made was to, to kind of put out a young team and for development purposes. Uh, I think like, to be honest, they're definitely a team to watch for the future, but I think, uh, it's a big jump from the, the junior B pool to, uh, the Euro A pool, just in terms of the competition, the intensity. So I think they will struggle this week, to be honest. But for a young team, at least for the skip here with uh, Halls, I assume that's how you pronounce her yeah. last name, is that at least she's seen this before, right? With the arena ice, like she's not going to be super like starstruck by seeing 
Anna Hasselberg out there and playing against her because she's played against those teams. So it, it almost feels like she, compared to another 19 or 20-year-old, has an experience that could benefit her in this event. And I, I mean, I don't expect her to win, but it could really help her overcome any initial butterflies or nerves or whatever else. Yeah, although she was playing lead there, and this is Skip, so not to—I mean, not to poo-poo yeah. them that much. Like they are, like they are a good in the junior B pool. They're a good team. Um, like they, they, I would say, if I was handicapping this year's junior B team, the pool, I'd say they're one of the favorites to go up and get to the World A's uh, in juniors. But um, the gap is still. If you, when we start going through the other teams in the order of merit, it's like the experience, the times they've been there. Um, I think that's the one thing you can't can't uh, quite make up for i think i think the danish c helsa is kind of the matilda helsa as their their kind of uh, star for the future so she's it's certainly like a chance to to give them that their that exposure uh but to be honest for them if they were to avoid relegation and stay up that would be i think that's probably their goal uh is probably what they're aiming for this week yeah so what do you think it would take is it is it a situation of two wins like, do you expect someone to go zero for somebody to go one and eight, and then two and seven, or is it possible that we would have a situation that the bottom three could all be one and uh, one and eight, where they've sort of split against each other and lost to the rest of the field? Like, like, what do you think it'll take to stay? Uh, probably, probably three wins. <laughs> Just looking at the teams okay. ahead of them. I think there's probably there's probably three pretty clear tiers, and if we're just going off order of merit, uh, probably like there's the bottom three are kind of pretty clear. They're all teams that kind of are bouncing back and forth historically between B and A, and that's one tier. Then there's uh, another tier of teams that are kind of constantly in the A pool, but are kind of not quite making the medals. And then there's the the medal favorites and the slam teams that we all we all know about. Right. So I kind of say, yeah. Those teams, the, the, the bottom three will probably struggle to get a win against any of the teams above them, but then they're going to do a little round robin with them. There's probably a chance they'll get one or maybe two upsets over the course of the week with those teams, and then it'll just be a matter of who goes you know, 2-0 and o against that, that kind of mini league, if you will. So the another team that is in that based on the order of merit, at least, is the Norwegian team skipped by Marianne Rorvik. Now, the name that most people, I think, are going to be familiar with here is Kristen Skaslian, who is throwing the fourth stones. And Marianne Rorvik is going to call the games. They are 148 on the order of merits and have had a, a quiet season, according to Curling Zone, with only playing in one event in the Norwegian Cup. And this is, is a nation that was promoted last year, right, Jonathan? Yep. So this is another team that kind of bounces back and forth between A and B, uh, and haven't really been dominant on the women's side since the the, the Dordy Nordby era. I'd say like back then Norway was was kind of a medal favorite every year. Um, and again, so like actually, Rorvik played is played on the the 2006 Olympic team. So she's actually kind of a veteran with a lot of experience. She played second on that team, but she has Olympic experience. And uh, the third on this team actually won the the World Junior Curling Championship in 2004. So there is is some kind of pedigree on this team, but they're not kind of going out on tour a lot. They're not really chasing those order of merit points. So 
again, I think it's going to be a, a struggle for them to to punch through with the, the top tier teams, even though they have a bit more experience. So I put them a little bit ahead of the Danish team. Yeah, and they you could see as you say, like they went seven and one, eight and one last year in the round robin in the B side. Went through, won the the B side overall. It's sort of like a, a baseball player who you call a four A player, who's too good for AAA but not quite competitive in the major leagues, and sort of that player goes back and forth. That, that is kind of feels what Kristen Skasley and, and this team has been for a while, and it, it's kind of disappointing because Dorby Norby was so much fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it was, all right. It, it was great having her around. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. Like Nor- I say, Norway and Denmark are kind of similar. They don't have a, a huge amount of funding for their curling programs. A lot of it's self-funded, uh, but they do they do both have curling pedigree and curling facilities, so they're able to generate kind of good competitive teams. But you know, most of the teams at the top of this pool have full-on uh, Olympic programs, and all their players are paid to curl full-time. So I don't think that's the case right. with the Norwegian team. So that there is kind of one of the ways the separation really starts to appear. Yeah, and that would account, too, for the schedule, right? That they haven't played a lot, or at least in a lot of games that are coming up on tour and worth points and all that kind of stuff. So that you know, you're right. That puts them behind the, the eight ball, even though they have a lot of experience. Yeah, and so I think, I think the experience does make them dangerous. Like they're, they're obviously, I don't think they're going to win, but they certainly are capable of uh, pulling off an upset. Because especially with like Olympic experience, they're not going to be intimidated playing against uh, some of the bigger teams in this event. Uh, so the other, another team that we could put in this sort of bottom tier of teams, the Latvian team, skipped by Iveta Staza Sarsun or Sarsune. Uh, ranked 117 on the order of merit. Another team that has not played in a lot of tour type events on the season. They played in the Latvia International International Challenger event that had a lot of teams that are in the hundreds and sort of low 200s at the order of merit. And they lost the final of the International Challenger. But what do we know about this team, Jonathan? So they're they're one of the ones last year, and I remember for the women's worlds, Ryan didn't believe me, but I said they're they're a tough out, <laughs> and they were a tough out. They they finished last, but they they weren't blown out, right? They were they were kind of always they're just kind of a grinded out team. <laughs> it's the way I describe them. I've seen them play a lot, and yeah. uh, you know, and against like the Chelsea Carries and the Anna Hasselbergs of the world, they were still kind of in the game right down to the last end. Like the other team would have control, but they they weren't going to defeat themselves. So I kind of like them as a gritty team. And if I was picking one to stay up from that that kind of group, I'd put them kind of slightly favorites to, to stay up. Last year they went um, four and five in the A pool. Uh, this is their third year up in the A. They're certainly kind of always at risk for for being relegated, as the other teams are. But uh, they played that Latvia challenger, and they actually lost to uh, the Norwegian team in that one. So uh, a close game again, but it kind of gives you a sense of that. But they beat uh, the England team, Lisa Farnell. So they're they're kind of uh, they, they finished second in that challenger one. So they're kind of best of that kind of. B plus A minus kind of tier is how I put it. Yeah, so it, it seemed that let's just say like you know you go four and five last year. That, that's a good week at this event, and 
the games that they're going to need to win to get to at least eighth place, you would favor them over the Danish team and the Norwegian team, right? And, and that, if that gets them there, that's all you need. Yeah, and like last year they beat the Czech Republic. I can't remember who. I think they actually may have upset Eve Mirhead last year. They had they had a couple of kind of big big wins last year to pull off that four and five. So they're certainly capable of an upset. I, I don't think they're going to threaten to get into the medal round. Uh, and they certainly, if they have an off week, they certainly could be relegated. But they've got that experience and they are kind of a, a grinded out team. So we'll move on then to another team. I think this is probably the last of the bottom tier. And this is another team that was promoted last year from B. It's the Estonian team skipped by Mary Terman. And this team is ranked in the order of merit number 91 in the world. They are eight and four on the season in the big sort of tour events. They played in that Latvian international challenger and they lost in the quarterfinals in that event. They also played at the Tallinn event in Estonia and won it, went through undefeated. But again, those are teams who are all below them in the order of merit. So teams that they probably should beat. But what do we know about this team and what do you expect from them this week? Uh, I mean, Mary Terman's kind of like known in European curling. I mean, she, so first of all, she's kind of semi-famous because she looks a lot like Daenerys Targaryen, which is appropriate for the Game of Stones podcast. So, uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that's been kind of picked up enough in North American TV, but she certainly has uh, an aesthetic, if you will, uh, kind of like flaming platinum hair, uh, flowing platinum hair. Uh, well, if, if they if they make it to the World Championship, TSN is going to be all over it. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, so she's that's kind of part of her identity. Um, I mean, and she's a very good curler. Like she's been. Uh, you know, Esto- again, it's like Estonia is not a country with a lot of depth. It's the term and rink, I think, most years that represent them. She plays a lot in mixed doubles as well and uh, in mixed with Harry Lill. And so in mixed doubles, they're, you know, under the old format, we're normally kind of a threat to qualify for playoffs most years. Uh, she's got a lot of international experience. Um, I think this is the first time Estonia has been up in the A since 2015. And so this is her first time in the A. But certainly in the B pool, they were kind of normally playoff team, kind of always really close to getting promoted. So it's not like a surprise they're up here. And they, they, if you actually go on their tour, they play a lot on the kind of European challenger tour, which is kind of tier two European events. And they've actually had a pretty good year in terms of that. So they beat Kubiskova, they beat Herleman, they beat Kalaskatia, and they beat Rudica, who are all kind of in that 100 range. Um, the Farnell rink from England beat them. So, uh, but certainly beating Kubiskova, who's the Czech skip, that's kind of an accomplishment. So there's certainly, as I said, a kind of a dangerous team for perhaps the mid-tier ones, but also first time up in the A's for this team. So that could be a bit of a challenge too. You look at what they did last year in the B side, they came through six and three there and got the win in the semifinal that they needed, lose the final. But as you say, a team that if they beat any of those top three, maybe four teams, it'd be surprising. Yeah. Now, it would be surprising if they grabbed from the top tier. But they're certainly, you know, having already beaten Kubiskova, Daniela Yench, who's I put in the next tier, like those teams are, for them, for them, this Estonian team is probably going to be a tough out, if you will. So it's not going to be an easy, an easy kind of easy rollover. Right. Which means that we might get to see her at 
the world championship and uh see see how up to date Vic is on Game of Thrones. <laughs> I guess we'll find out, yeah. So yeah, there's certainly a chance yeah. they could qualify. So so uh, you mentioned Anna Kubaskova, the Czech Republic team. They are next on the order of merit, but a big jump up to 64 in the world for this team. So 30 points roughly or, or spots ahead of Terman. This team, we are familiar with Anna Kubaskova. This season for those big tour events, they are 12 and 16 on the season. The numbers, though, around that record are not terrible overall. I think their force efficiency has been pretty good, around 50%, just under. So some of the peripheral numbers have been okay. And some of the losses that they've had, when you just look at the, the scores and the numbers, they're, you know, it's sort of as the, the games where they're losing big, I think have skewed their numbers overall in that if you look at in the totality of their season you know they came over to north america early in the season and played in a bunch of those get your legs under you type spiels in uh, august and september and then have gone back to europe since winning the Tallinn events in the last major event they played and so this is a team jonathan that you know we're familiar with is pretty good i'm not willing to say that they can't make the playoffs or even sneak onto the podium. But what do you think? Yeah, I think they're a good team. They're certainly uh, a playoff threat. I would say that actually the performance is a little bit under what I think they'd like what I expect for them so far this year. Right. So last year, last year they actually struggled a bit in the A's and they were three and six, which was disappointing because if you remember a couple of years ago, they were on the cusp of a medal at the worlds. So, um, yeah. Uh, so they, they're capable, they're kind of capable of meddling, but they're also capable of kind of falling down. Uh, the best finish at Euros was fourth, but last year they kind of just avoided the, the relegation. Um, and and they, they, so they tend to do really well in the European Challenger events, but then when they go to Canada, they, their record there is a bit shakier. So like I think the record was 5-11 and 11 in the, the Canadian Spiels they played in. Um, and 0 and 4 in Basel, which is one of the top women's events in Europe, but then they do really well yeah. in the challenger events like Tallinn. And they've actually won over Felcher, over Stern, over Nakajima. So that kind of shows they're able to beat the slam teams, but the results are a bit inconsistent. So, uh, that's kind of why I walk, that's why I kind of put them in that mid tier. They're certainly capable of beating a top tier team, but they're, they're not kind of consistently posting the kind of results that would get them into the top top 20, say. Yeah, and as you say, they didn't make the playoffs at any of the events where they came to North America. But even within that, you know, they beat Binia Felcher in a game, right? So yeah. it's, it's this weird thing of like, they could go, they can go one and three in an event, lose to a couple of teams that maybe they you would think they would beat, but then beat a world champion. So it's, yeah, like a, a very inconsistent uh, or consistently inconsistent if you will yeah consistently inconsistent or i mean and i think that's the case for a lot of teams in that you know if you go by order of merit in that 30 to 80 range there's a lot of teams like that that are very dangerous and can kind of certainly upset a slam team but they're they're not able to kind of consistently post the results to to be kind of a top tier team and so that's that's kind of where i put them these days yeah and I, I think that's fair so let's move into 
the top tier, if you will, or at least what I would consider the top tier. We'll move on to the Russian team, skipped by Alina Kovaleva, ranked number 21 in the world on the order of merit. They are 22 and 10 on the season. They came to North America early on, have played in, uh, but they stayed west. So they started in Manitoba, then went to Alberta, and then finished with the Prestige Hotels event out there in Verno. Excuse me. They also played in the Curlers Corner back in Calgary. So they spent a good chunk of the fall in North America, in Canada, and then played the Russian qualifiers, a best out of seven series against Anna Sidorova that they won in six games. I love that Russia does that, yeah. by the way. <laughs> the best of seven series. That is so exciting uh, and such a brilliant idea. So they win it in six games over Anna Sidorova to get the spot here. This is a team where you know, we thought that Sidorova was the future of Russian curling for a, a, a while, and it really seems like Alina Kovaleva has taken that spot from her. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, Kovaleva is definitely having better results on tour and seems to have her number the last few years in terms of the qualification events too. So, um, and so, yeah, consequently, we don't see Sidorova on TV anymore. Um, yeah, and they're kind of posting really good results, both uh, in these kind of international events and kind of just on the cusp of qualifying for slams. So, yeah, they're, I think that's like a big step up over Kubiskova. Yeah, and well, certainly it's 40 yeah. points, right? And, and the difference uh, in the rankings. The other thing, and just looking at their stats, their force efficiency is at 57%, which in an era of the five rock rule, that strikes me as incredibly uh, yeah. impressive. And uh, right, being able to keep other teams from multiple scores, that is going to help you win a lot of games. It, it might be an indicator that they're not going super aggressively early in ends and tr- keeping things relatively open not going for steals but if other teams aren't getting deuces on you that's a, a big what's step their forward. what's their steal efficiency uh 33 so that's actually pretty high too right yeah. that basically means like 90 percent of the time so, they're either getting a force or a steal <laughs> yeah that's pretty, <laughs> pretty that's good pretty yeah. damn good yeah um, with the hammer, they're getting uh, 30% hammer efficiency and a steel defense of 21%. Oh, so, so actually so hammer efficiency the, is low. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe more aggressive, more aggressive without the hammer, pretty cautious with the hammer. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> so yeah. uh, something yeah. like that. Uh, but no, that, that'll be an interesting team to, uh, to keep track of as they, uh, as they move forward as we'll move on to two steps ahead on the order of merit. Daniela Jentsch, the German squad there, number 19 in the world. They've played a bunch. They also came to Canada early in the season. Uh, seems like they followed around Team, <laughs> team Kovaleva for a while, uh, played in a lot of the same events, but were able to stay a little longer because they didn't have to go back to uh, Europe for that the same way the Russian team did. So they played at the Canadiens, for example, and they, we just saw them at the Tour Challenge, the Tier 2 event, where they went 1-4 and four and did not make the playoffs there. So not coming off of a great result. And, and let's talk about this now, Jonathan, because you've done this, where you play in North America, you go back to Europe, you have to play again. You know, there's a week in between... Uh, or six days in between the two events. 
Is that enough time for these teams who have just played in the Tour Challenge when they go home to be in the proper or to be rested and to be ready to go for a week-long event? Uh, probably, you know, so here's one of the things that's funny is having played a lot of kind of like drunk curling tour spiels, <laughs> call them like where you have three games a day. Um, having played in the Worlds for the first time, like a world-level event, it's like very easy on the body, I gotta say. <laughs> like I, I okay. basically, my, my takeaway message is, boy, the pros, they, they're living the dream because it was like, we had one two game day, and every other day was like a one game day, and you've got loads of time. Like, you know, I've, I don't think I've ever been as well rested as I was uh, during that week of curling, which was kind of interesting because I normally think about Bon Spiel's exhausting me, right? It's normally a game Saturday night, yeah. maybe two games on the Friday, game, you know, two to three games on the Saturday, and then, you know, you just go as far as you can on the Sunday. And, uh, yeah, this and was not like that at all on Sunday. Cause you're just done. And it's, it's like, Oh, we're out. Thank God <laughs> that we don't yeah. have to play in the semifinal or God forbid the final and, you know, play seven games in three days and try to get up and go to work on Monday. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, every spiel that I've ever been in gets to the point of, okay, let's just lose already. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think so for, like, for me, cause I do, I do fly back and forth to North America at least once or twice a year. And it is harder coming this way. So by that, I mean coming from North America to Europe. It normally takes me four days for my clock to reset. Um, when I go to North America, I can normally, like the next day I feel fine and two days later, you know, just feeling great. So it's coming this way. It's the problem, not going to North America, I'd say. So that might have a little bit of an effect, but the six day gap in terms of the jet lag, for that point, they should be fine. Uh, it is interesting though, that some other teams opted not to go. So like Mirrorhead clearly had the points to qualify for something in the challenger, but opted not to go. Um, so some teams are kind of not wanting to go the week before, but, uh, Yen Travis, who decided they wanted to do it. Yeah. And we saw that with like Anna Hasselberg didn't play in the tour challenge last year for the same reason. Uh, there was, it was closer though. I think it might've, I don't know if it overlapped directly, but, uh, it was a, a similar schedule wise so for daniela yench not great that they didn't qualify for the playoffs but they probably got out of pictou county earlier than they otherwise would have had they made the playoffs uh again a team that we've seen a bunch a very good team top 20 in the world obviously can they hang with the top three though it's a good question. I mean, it's for them to jump to top 20, I think that's been steady growth in their standings too. Like probably two, three seasons ago, I would have put them in that Kubaskova. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm kicking on Kubaskova out today. But just kind of on that tier of like, nothing against Kubaskova, but on that tier of like can do really well in the the challenger European tournaments, goes to North America, struggles a bit, comes to the Euros, is not going to get relegated but also struggles against the top tier. And I think Yench has started to put together like really good results. So uh, I think they had a couple of semifinals, like you said, in Vernon and in Oakville. Uh, they've won over, according to the record here, they beat Fleury this year, Roth, Scheidegger, and Yoshimura. So all kind of slam quality teams. So they're certainly capable of upsetting uh, the top team, top tier teams in this event. I think the different question for them is, can they go like, there's still a jump from being able to beat a team like that to being able to go like nine, eight and one or, you know, seven and two, get the high seed in the playoffs and qualify for the gold medal game. I think that's still 
um, it's can you kind of keep posting those results all week, which is the challenge. Yeah, so the expectation I think for them would be sort of middle of the pack. They didn't make the playoffs here um, last year with a five and four record, but I don't know how much you can attribute that to what they did. I mean, they won the games that they had to do versus, as we'll talk about, Eve Muirhead having a tough week last week. You know, is it a case where they can beat the top teams when the top teams are playing their best? consistently over the course of a week or do they need someone to stub their toe a bit and i think that's the question that i have with this team and whenever we see them at euros or or world championships that's kind of the vibe i get is that you're nervous if you're playing them you should be nervous and make sure that you're playing well but if you're doing what you're supposed to do you'll beat them that they're not at the point yet where they can beat you without you opening the floor a bit. Yeah, I'd say that. I mean, I think Daniela's herself's a fantastic shot maker. So, and sometimes she kind of drags the rest of the team on kind of a, you know, circus shots or whatever. Um, I do think that kind of in terms of the depth of the team, if you go compare it to like a Hasselberg team, I think Hasselberg's front end is significantly stronger. Um, And so it's one of those things where, one of the advantages the top tier teams in this event have is their team is so deep that even if even if the skips on the the kind of middle of the pack teams are capable of pulling off the shots, they're behind to kind of most ends because the the front ends kind of set things up so well for a Hasselberg or a Mirhead or a Tiranzoni. So I think that's kind of one of the places where Daniela Yench is kind of a little bit chasing is in terms of that, that kind of over the course of a game, they're giving up, you know, one shot or two shots at each position. And that's kind of where they chase the the top tier teams. Yeah. And that's, you just can't afford that at that level. Uh, you know, it, you know, at the, the club level, it's fine to put your worst player at lead. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> and just someone who can't make So, And I, as, as someone who plays lead at the club level, uh, it's fine. Right. It's if I miss a shot, I don't care. Uh, but at that level, you, you can't afford it. You can't afford to play, seven against eight in terms of the rocks. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't work. I think sometimes Yench is doing that. So that's kind of where I think they kind of fall down. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So the next team is the aforementioned Eve Muirhead, number 11 on the order of merit, did not participate in the tour challenge. As mentioned, they decided to stay over uh, in Europe as they got ready. They did come to North America for the early part of the season, Played in a bunch of events, uh, won an event in Oakville, beating Sylvana Tiranzoni in the final of that event that included wins over Binia Felcher and Team Kim, Kelsey Rock. So some some big wins there. They did play at the Masters, the first Grand Slam. They did not make the playoffs there, going 0-4 in North Bay. Overall, though, uh, an okay run through North America, through Canada. They're going 24 and 12 through most of those events. The question I have, Jonathan, with this team is since the Olympics, and Eve was hurt, right? Eve had surgery, but she has not looked the same since. She hasn't had the same consistently high results. You know, we talked about the four and five at this event last year, it, and they didn't. Uh, make it to the world championships. They lost the Scottish finals. I just don't know what to make of this anymore. And Eve, when I talked to her at the Continental Cup, she said she was, wasn't was quite at 100% yet. There were still 
doing stuff to try and make her her better and and get her legs back under her. But you look at the results so far, it's it's hard to say if she's all the way back from the injury and if she can sustain the level of performance needed over the course of a week to win an event with this type of field. Yeah. So to me, there's two big question marks. So one is the injury. It's the hip, which is not a great injury if you're a curler and it's her, I believe it's the hip on her kind of sliding side, which is kind of even worse. Um, so that's kind of problem one. Uh, I, I guess question two is that her team has basically completely changed since the Olympics, right? So the the lead yeah. from the Olympics, Lauren Gray, is now playing third. Jennifer Dodds is in at second. And then Vicky Wright is now in at, at lead. So her lineups changed even from last year uh, and kind of gave up a lot of experience in terms of uh, giving up Vicky and Anna, right? Who are kind of like her her veteran her veterans for, for the previous two Olympic cycles. So there's a new team which is kind of new team dynamics issues and then the injury issues. And then the third kind of wrinkle is um, Glenn Howard wasn't allowed to, I guess they had to part ways with Glenn Howard as their coach. Yes. And I actually think he was kind of the, someone's the secret weapon. Like <laughs> the ability to call a timeout and then have Glenn Howard come on the ice and just tell you, you know, what to call <laughs> is kind yeah. of, kind of something that I would like to have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they've kind of gone to a different structure for the coaching program in British curling. And so I think that that also might be a little wrinkle behind the scenes too. And just to the calming voice of Glenn Howard, right? Eve Muirhead is somebody who you've seen at times can get a little riled up and get angry at herself. And, and Glenn Howard, when he plays, sometimes that happens to him, but you know, he, he just comes out and is like, yeah, that's, that's the shot. Let's make it right. That the sort of calming experienced voice you're right really did seem to help them they had a great run at the olympics with him there yeah and it's, i'm sure it's a lot of the stuff that he's doing that we don't get to see kind of behind the scenes in between games too that that's just all the kind of experience you could ask for um you know she eaves at the eaves at the level where she doesn't really need a, a technical coach um i don't think and so it's kind of uh you know for in terms of the elite curling having a kind of for lack of a better term a tactical coach who can kind of talk through high level strategy and game management and those kinds of things i think is a kind of a massive advantage and so it's not like she's going to be lost tactically but the, to me that was kind of her secret weapon the last few seasons and so losing that's also a bit of a, a setback for them yeah. So, and, and as you say, with team members who, when they're new, you got to learn how everyone relates to each other on the ice, what those discussions can be, the front end, how hard do you suggest stuff at times when there's discussions going on. Those are all dynamics that can really affect whether or not you're making shots and it takes time to figure it out. And without having Glenn Howard there to potentially smooth things over be a the authoritative voice on these discussions it, it you know just the, the team dynamic aspect will will be interesting to see how it plays out this is sort of the first real high leverage event i guess that this team is going to play together with all due respect to the masters um you know the one where the stakes are you know a little higher and a little more meaningful so it'll be fun to see how they how they come together for that Next on the list on the countdown here is Anna Hasselberg, fourth on the order of merit. Uh, no surreal surprises when you're talking about Anna Hasselberg at this point coming off the Tour Challenge Tier 1 win, beating Carrie Anderson in the final. 
there a solid week. The only loss they had was to Silvana Tiranzoni in that event. They made the semifinals at the Masters. They have played uh, early in the season. They were in Canada, went back to Sweden. They had to play in the European qualifier where they beat Isabella Rana in a best of seven series, beating her four games to nothing. A sweep over the young Swedish team, letting them know who still is in control of Swedish women's curling. And uh, <laughs> uh, the, I, I think if you were handicapping this, I know they're not the highest ranked team on the order of merit, but I think, Jonathan, they have to be considered the favorite going into this. Yeah, they well, A, they've played a softer schedule this autumn, and they've played a pretty light schedule, right. it looks like. Well, um, compared to what they did last year when they played on, what, like four different continents uh, over the course of the fall, right? This year, just uh, Ontario, they, they played in Oakville and Cornwall, and then back to Sweden in terms of the top-level events, and then just the two Grand Slams. So you're right, very different from what they were doing last year when they work off everywhere. I mean, part of that was the World Cup and playing in the World Cup. And now that that's gone, sort of opens up their schedule a little bit. But they do, if it really felt yesterday watching them in that final compared to last year, just, you know, if I can go body language doctor, they just seemed more relaxed and just more upbeat. Like they had more energy. Like last year, they, they, it looked watching them at times that they were just exhausted on the ice. Yeah. That's, it's, yeah. So they're definitely playing less games this year. And it's interesting that I'd say the top tier, all three of them, if we're going by Mirrorhead, Tiranzoni, Hasselberg, all three of them are playing a slightly lighter schedule. Maybe Tiranzoni is playing a little bit more, but um, it's noticeable that, uh, that these top teams are kind of really picking their spots. So they're basically doing the slams, maybe a couple of tune-up spiels. And then the, the big international events seems to be the, the approach these teams are taking this season. And that is totally reasonable, I think, especially, you know, you get your points last year, you go out, you play, you try and make some money. And this year is the start of figuring out what you want your schedule to be in the lead up to the Olympics in 2022. So just set your schedule, figure out what you want to do, the best way for you to get prepared for that event. And so far, so good for them. Yeah. And I think for them also, their bigger goal this year is to lock in those Olympic qualification points, right? So I don't yeah. think they're at risk of not getting to Worlds, but they want to get to the Worlds and they want to place high at the Worlds so that they they don't have to go to next season kind of being on the bubble in kind of fifth or sixth place. So they're really gunning for a top three finish at Worlds so they can get those points locked in uh, early. Yeah, and just on a personal note, I'm sure for Anna Hasselberg too, having lost a couple finals, World Championship finals, and that's really the thing that's missing for her in terms of resume. I think just on a personal note, to overcome those losses and get that world championship would be a big deal for her too. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's actually the only thing they have left to win now. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, is the other thing too though with this team? Uh, as I mentioned on the recap last night, she missed a takeout in the seventh end last night where she threw it really, really hard, and it didn't matter. It. Anderson got two, but they were still in control of the game. But it, in watching that shot, it made me wonder, because 
there was the gasp in the crowd because you just don't expect Anna Hasselberg to miss a shot. Does this team have a weakness? Like if you're the, if you're coaching someone who is playing them, doing a scouting report, is there anything that you would try to get your team to force them into playing that you think you could exploit some sort of weakness out of these four players? Because the more I've watched them over the last couple of years, I can't really think of one. So, but you, you as a coach, maybe you have a different eye to it. I mean, the the one thing I'll note is that against Jen Jones and against Tiranzoni, they they tend to be our kryptonite, and both Jones and Tiranzoni, I think, play a slightly junkier game. Yeah. Like they like the longer guards. They like you know, a bit more junk in play, and I think that's you know, Hasselberg's kind of if she's kind of modeled on anyone, she's kind of the Holman Kevin Martin school kind of tight guards early on, and and lots of like runbacks mid end to try to set stuff up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jen Jones and Tiranzoni both kind of play a bit more of a, a kind of higher guard, more junk game and are kind of, you know, maybe not trying to set up the big run back. I mean, obviously they can both do it, but, um, you know, the Swiss kind of definitely, uh, you know, like to play the draw game. The, the pressure draws is like Alina Pats' specialty. And I, th- I think the junkier teams seem to get seem to kind of get it or Tracy Fleur is another one who kind of sometimes can can yeah. grab a surprise win over Hasselberg. So I think I wouldn't say kryptonite, but it's it's kind of in the it's kind of a, ver, a modern version of kind of the old Glenn Howard touch game versus Kevin Martin game from from 10 15 years ago, right? It's uh, yeah. and Hasselberg's definitely a power player and sometimes the the touch players can get the better of them. Well, speaking of one of those touch players, the number two ranked team in the order of merit, it is Sylvana Tiranzoni, the skip of Switzerland. Of course, Alina Pats throwing the fourth stones there. They have played a little more than some of the other teams. 52 games logged on tour so far this year. They also have traveled a little bit more than Hasselberg has. They went to Korea to play in the International Cup event over there i've been to north america twice uh, to play uh, both grand slams they played in made the playoffs in both semifinals at the masters a quarter final loss to anderson at the tour challenge but overall if you're looking at i know i just said that i hasselberg i think is the favorite uh, and i i would stand by that but in terms of this being the number two ranked team on the order of merit for all, everything you can say about how the order of merit is put together and the point system, this team is full fair to be ranked there. You know, defending world champion, they win a ton of games and they're just really, really good at curling, Jonathan. Yeah, and I think I think listening to your podcast last year, one of the knocks on them that you guys kind of flagged is they were streaky last year, right? They'd kind of mm-hmm. offer in one event, win the next one. This year, they've been a lot more consistent. Yeah, which I think mean, means they're a lot more dangerous too. Um, yeah, so whatever it was that was into the inconsistency last year, they've definitely sorted it out because it's. I'm just looking at the, what we've got in our notes here, and it's like uh, defending world champs, semifinals at Grand Slam Masters, semifinal at Portage, went unbeaten at, at Basel, uh, third in Wiesung, uh, semifinals two cells Oakville and second at the Oakville Fall Classic. So they're basically making the playoffs in every event and doing a deep playoff run, either semifinals or finals, in just about everything they play in. So very solid, really consistent, um, and kind of getting stronger, which uh, 
you know, might scare Hasselberg a little bit. Yeah, and I think part of the reason why some of that inconsistency last year was the change, right? With Alina Pats coming in and she'd always skipped and Tiranzoni going to throw the third stone. That, I mean, that, for as much as you can say that, you know, Eve Muirhead and the, the roster changes there, and that is a learning curve. That one here with the Swiss team in combining the two skips and having both of them do different things. That's a steeper learning curve, I think, for that back end to figure it out. And once they figured it out or started to figure it out at the World Championship, they were almost unbeatable. It's like that final last year, the 2018 Women's World Championship final. Like, if there's a curling museum somewhere, just put that on a loop because that game was unbelievable to watch. And it's for as good as Anna Hasselberg played. There was probably only one team in the world that could have beat her that day, and it was this team playing their best. That was an absolutely unbelievable game. And if they play 90% of that consistently or 80% of that consistently, they're going to just keep racking up wins. Yeah, and that game was fantastic because it was kind of great made shots on both sides. So it's And it wasn't like, I mean, extra end. So it's not like... It's not like he can kind of... He could have gone either way that day. It's just one more shot by Alita Pats that kind of put that game away but yeah yeah so let's uh let's do our pick so like last year we are doing a bad beer bet between the two shows so on the rocks across the pond feed scott and ryan are doing the men's side and they have picked their teams and we're going to do the picks for the women's teams and the losing podcast will have to consume terrible beer on their show, which we had to do last year, and I'm still mildly scarred by it. <laughs> we have to find some bad beer in Britain because it'll be different brands, but we'll yes, we'll deal with that problem but, later. Yeah, we'll we'll figure we'll figure that one out. So the way it's going to work, uh, it's a little different from how Scott and I normally do the picks for ourselves because of the relegation. So what we've decided to do is we're each going to pick a winner who finishes second, who finishes third. So we'll pick the podium and the two teams that we think will be relegated. And the way I believe this is working is if you pick a podium team and they land on that spot on the podium where you picked them, it's worth two points. If they just make it onto the podium, it's worth one point. Uh, The relegated teams have to be actually relegated. Uh, there's no okay, so we so we have to call the order also for the the three podium teams. Yes, that's how that that's how uh, Scott presented it to me uh, after he recorded with Ryan. So, uh, so okay. I think that's what we're doing. So, uh, Jonathan, I will let you go for. I've written mine down. Just to be clear, I, I I'm All not right. gonna piggyback off your expertise. I do have everything written down. <laughs> so, but uh, I will let you go first. I hadn't thought of the order, so I just had picked three. Uh three metal teams, but I'll, I'll just roll with it. So I'm going to go Hasselberg to win, uh, Tiranzoni for silver, and we've got Kovaleva for bronze. Okay. I have the same three teams, different order uh, on the second two. I'm going Hasselberg to win. I'm going to go Kovaleva to finish second, and then Tiranzoni to finish third. And I think that sort of speaks to where we are with this event and for as much as Daniela Yench and Eve Muirhead may be higher than Alina Kovaleva in the order of merit 
just given the results and sort of where we are, that it seems like those three are the class of the field. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Yinch or Mirhead uh, kind of meddled, but I, yeah, I give Kovaleva a little bit of an advantage uh, these yeah. days. Yeah. So on the other end of things, who do you think will not make it uh, to the 2020 European Championships A side? Uh, I will have, unfortunately, <laughs> I'll have, uh, have to bet against um, Daenerys Targaryen. So uh, Estonia, I think, will get relegated. And Denmark, unfortunately, I think will go uh, down as well. Okay. I agree with you on Denmark. Uh, I think that team just first time there is the skip. Going to be a tough mark or a tough run for them. I'm going to disagree on the second one. And I am going to say that Latvia gets relegated. Aveta Staza Cernan or Sarsoon gets so, relegated. I don't know how it's pronounced. <laughs> Me neither. Like, there's yeah. no accent. It's like it's the one of the only uh, only skips here that doesn't have accents, or, or one of the only teams that has no accents. So it's hard to uh, know for sure uh, exactly uh. how it's pronounced. But I'm going to go with them not getting through, and that's not so much what I think of them necessarily as much as it is that I think Kristen Skazlian is capable of carrying a team for a week to, you know, a sixth, seventh place if she's playing really well, throwing last. And also just really hoping that uh, Marie Terman makes it to a world championship. I want that to happen. I would like to see that on my television and so because of that, I have to root for Latvia to be relegated. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, I guess they're not the official team of the Game of Stones podcast, but maybe yeah. your official team for Euros. Yeah, they'll be the official Euro <laughs> team. And if they make it to the World Championships, I will pick them to make the playoffs. Just I'm calling my shot. All right. Right now. <laughs> so so that's the A side. Let's talk about the B side, John. And this is the event that for a lot of Canadian fans, we're not going to be as familiar with these teams as we will with the A teams because we just don't see a lot of them a lot. And we're not going to be familiar with their results. Several of these teams do not appear on the order of merit that I could find. So when we're talking about the B side of the Euros, is there a comparable type of event that for a Canadian that you could put it into context to? Like what like is this tour challenge tier two caliber? I'm gonna say based on the teams in both of those, this is gonna be slightly below what the caliber of play was at the tier two, but is it sort of a middle cash spiel type event? Like like what are we expecting? when we sit down to watch the, the B side? Well, I, I think first of all, it's really hard to watch the B side. So, cause my, my friends from either the men's or women's side are often playing in it. I spend a lot of my time refreshing the world curling federation live score website. Uh, and if you're lucky, the game that you're watching has someone doing the live tracking with the stones. Occasionally they have a, a web stream, but not often. So it's hard to see. First of all, in terms of the tier, uh, like it's weird is what I'll say. Like, so C is not a very strong pool at all. It's, it's developmental countries. 
And so it's the, the countries that may have started a curling program in the last five years, maybe don't even have a rink yet. Um, and then B is the gap from the upper tier of the B to the bottom tier of the B is quite large, I'd say. So, um, you know, you'll have teams that I, I'm not sure who's on the Spanish team, but I think it might be the women from the mixed team and they're, they're quite good. They, they got a silver last year in the world mix. So there's good players there. You've got Belarus that's just come up from the sea. And so that country's kind of, they take it very seriously, but it's a brand new curling country. So, uh, not a very strong curling team in that kind of case. So let's uh, let's go through the teams then and let's talk about uh we'll go in order again of the order of merit from lowest to highest this is going to be hard because four of them don't appear on the order of merit you mentioned the spanish team um ohani otega is how i would pronounce that but I, i'm sure i'm wrong okay um, but let's start with them i uh, do not appear on the order of merit uh, you mentioned that spain has had some good results at the mixed but in the four-person game it's not a country that you expect to see, at least a Canadian expects to see at a world championship, or frankly, I would guess that their odds of making it up to the A are pretty low. Yeah. And they, they don't have dedicated ice. So that's one kind of challenge there. Uh, they're mostly arena ice and, uh, yeah, I don't think they'll get relegated, but they're they're not um, like they went three and six last year in the B. So they were kind of one loss away from getting into that relegation playoff. Um, so probably mid tier is where I'd put them. Okay, the next team is the Turkish team. That again, I couldn't find them, which was surprising to me because last year the team skipped by Dilsat Yildiz went seven and two finished second in the round robin did not advance after losing to estonia in the semi-final but based on last year at least uh, jonathan the team that you have to consider a threat for one of those two top spots i i would say so so they've gone and gotten they've gone and hired tony zumak the country has and i think it is yodits's uh team I believe it is. I think it's they, they do. I think they do have a championship format, but uh, Turkish curling again, not very deep. Um, they were playing at uh, the World Mixed and were. They, I think they just made the playoffs. No, no, did they? No, they lost. They lost. They were the last team out of the playoffs in an extra, a double extra end. So, uh, um, <laughs> still kind of a very strong team. And Yildiz was actually throwing last stones uh, for the mixed team there, so she's got a lot of experience skipping. Um, and in juniors, uh, she kept getting kind of bouncing back and forth between the junior B and the world A. They don't play much on tour, so they don't have uh, kind of, a, that's probably why they don't have order of merit points. Um, but yeah, they lost in the semifinals last year to Mary Terman. Uh, they have been in the April as, as recently as 2017. So certain, I would put them a bit higher up, like definitely a playoff round threat. Yeah, so it seemed that if you're just looking at order of merit, you would not expect much, but a team who has a resume that belies the lack of appearance on the order of merit. Yeah, and I think the further down you go on order of merit, the more deceptive it gets because yeah. there can be some good teams that just aren't playing on tour and hence not racking up the points. Yeah, for instance, I, I noticed that Sherry Madaw is ranked like 200th or something. And Sherry Madaw is better than the 200th player or 200th team in the world. So, yeah. Yeah, 
she probably just went and played in a local bond spiel one weekend that was collecting points, right? For fun. Yeah. <laughs> and got like two points or something. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, actually. She has three points yeah. uh, on the order of merit. Uh, so another team that is not ranked, uh, you mentioned the Belarusian team, skipped by Alina Polyachuk. I hope I pronounced uh, that right. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I don't know the team. I, I've seen the team. So again, they were playing at mixed. Um, they're actually pretty serious. I, I hung out with their coach a little bit, Alex Orlov, who's Russian, but coaches the Belarusian team. Uh, and they just got promoted from C. So I think getting up to A is a bit of a stretch this time out. But they they do play a little bit on kind of the Eastern European curling circuit. And so... They're the kind of team that I think their goal is to stay up in the B, not go back down. I think they got a good shot at achieving that goal. The next team that does not have a ranking, and I was surprised to see this, uh, and maybe you can explain why this is showing up this way, that Slovakia is listed as in the field, even though they were relegated down to C last year. Um, so it works. Did it, did it work that they got relegated, went to C in the spring, and then are back? Yep. That's, so that's it. So they, they went down and then they had to win the C pool. I think they finished second and then came back up. So this year, though, the skip is listed as being different. This year it's Gabriela Kayanova. Kaj- uh, oh, I don't even know her. Which is uh, listed as being different from last year when it was Sylvia Sikarova. Yeah. So I know Sikarova uh, a little bit. So different, maybe someone different won their national championship. Yeah. So a bit of a change there, but uh, you know, again, Slovakia is a country that, again, I, did did they have ice? Do you know? Yeah. They are, so they're actually interesting. So they actually have a two sheeter, and a lot of Central European countries go there uh, to play. So they're actually a little bit of a hotbed, partly because it's cheap in Slovakia to build a curling rink. Uh, so I was talking to the Austrian team and those people who are kind of in the eastern end of Austria, it's easier for them to go there to curl than Kitzbühel. So oh, a lot of the Austrian team play there. Um, a lot of Slovenian team trains there. So they actually have a lot of kind of these Central European Balkan countries kind of training in, in Bratislava. So Why yeah, they do have a facility. cheap to build ice or build a rink in Slovakia? Uh, <laughs> someone said to me because of communism so okay. uh, it's not all that kind of economically developed and so kind of former eastern bloc countries the property's cheaper and interestingly enough they don't have as much rele- uh, regulation like there's there's a, a curling rink and proposal that's basically 45 minutes from my house and it's been stuck in permission planning for seven years which frustrates me to no end but that's how how things go and <laughs> In the UK, and that's the case for a lot of uh, Western Europe. The property is really expensive, and the the regulations are high. But Eastern Europe, property is cheap, and uh, regulations are low. So, so there you go. That's a winning combo if you want to build a curling club. Yeah. Uh, so next up is the Polish team. Now we're on to the order of merit. They're ranked. Uh, they appear. They are two hundred and tenth in the rankings, skipped by Marta Pluta, uh, and. That is a team that I gotta say I don't know much about. Do we? What do you know about them? Uh, not much. I, I I think so. Poland just got a dedicated facility in. I'm gonna mispronounce it, but I think it's Łódź is the pronunciation. It, it looks like it's L O D S Z in English, but I've been told 
on kind of reliable authority. It's called Wuj. And so, but I've only had it for a year. And so I think that's, Poland's a country that I think is in the kind of, once they have, now they have a dedicated facility, they're going to take a jump up, but you can't just do it just on the basis of one season. So I think they're kind of likely to stick around the B, but I don't really see them as a, an A-level threat. Okay. And now the team, of course, that you, I assume at the very least, want to be an A-level threat, the English team skipped by Lisa Farnell, order of merit 197. Give us the sales pitch on this team. Uh, the So the sales pitch on the Farnell team. So, I mean, A, their skip is very experienced. So Lisa Farnell won um, Ontario Provincials as a junior back uh, 2006, played on kind of the Ontario uh, curling tour, like on Ontario curling tour, WCT events in Ontario, and made Provincials a couple of times uh, before moving over here. So the skip position, I'd say she's probably one of the stronger in the field. Um, her team has changed from last year. So she's um, one of her teammates moved away. Another one took a step back. So it's a, a slightly different lineup and she's gone with, um, she's gone with uh, the skip of the English junior team. Who's uh, Sydney Boyd uh, who skipped the English junior team and the junior B's to uh, the playoffs last year uh, and finished quarterfinal. So same as Hulse, the skip of the Danish team. Uh, and uh, the second is Kitty Conlon, who aged out of juniors two years ago, kind of very strong sweeper, very strong strong takeout player, and then she's got her lead back, who's Neve Fenton, uh, who's, I think this will be her third Euro. So young team up front, a very kind of experienced skip at the back, so kind of a good combination. Uh, I think they've kind of put it together as a team to kind of build for the long haul. So, I'm, you know, they're definitely kind of entering and trying to do as well as they can, but I think kind of part, I'm just talking to Lisa a bit. It seems like it's a team that was put together with the intention to build long-term to try to get to world. So, you know, the last year they've kind of been close the last two years of making the playoffs. So I think their goal this year is to try to make the playoffs again. They went five and four last year and were one win away from, from grabbing a, a playoff spot. So they'll be in the mix for the playoffs this year as well, I'm sure. Yeah, because at the Euros, it, it's not uh, tiebreakers, right? Do they just go straight to last rock or draw shot challenge? Because they were five and four in a three-way tie for fourth place last year. Yes. <laughs> they were. Uh, DSC really matters. Um, so basically... Uh, first tiebreakers. If it's if it's a two way tie, first tiebreaker is record against, and then second tiebreaker if it's a three way tie is DSC, uh, and that's basically how all the WCF events are now. And I, it looks like the slams are kind of going that way, at least for seeding the the tiebreakers. So, yeah. um, and kind of some teams get to advance off good DSC. It looks like in the slams now. Uh, so I mean that's just the kind of nature of curling in in twenty nineteen. So. They did not have a great DSE last year, um, so hopefully they've been practicing that because uh, <laughs> that kind of matters a lot these days. I mean, that actually helped us at World Knicks. Like, we went to the last game with a chance to, if we'd beat Korea, we would have made playoffs, and that was simply because we our team had a very strong DSE and we kept hitting the forefoot, which is kind of the key in those things. So, and some actually some really good teams there uh, did not have strong DSEs and kind of put them under under the gun a bit. That's just the nature of these events these days. So yeah, get your DSCs down, I guess is the message there. 
Yeah. Uh, hey, as uh, Mike Harris says, if you can draw the forefoot, you can skip. So if you can draw the forefoot, get in that good DSC, you can make the playoffs. Uh, we saw yeah. that. You know, I, think, I think this this week, Yab Van Dorp made the playoffs in the tier two. There was, especially with those those grand slams where there's all the tiebreakers with everyone at two and two, they just gave two teams spots off DSC and then made other teams play. It was very confusing as to how that how that works. I call it the Vic rule. Yeah, no, and, and Yap's a really good DSC player, right? Like they, they had a really good yeah. DSC at the Worlds two years ago. They got them uh, just on, I'm not sure if they got into the play. Like they didn't get the playoffs, but it kind of got them seventh spot or something based off DSC. Yeah, and it's a big deal too if if we're you know you're talking about relegation at the bottom of pools, that could be the difference between staying where you are or going down. Yeah, especially because the women's it's a ten team pool, four make the playoffs to get relegated, there's very little space in the middle. Uh, yeah. So often it's one or two wins that separates a relegation team from a promotion, from a playoff team at least. Yeah. So we're sort of by extension, we're rooting for Lisa Farnell for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> She's also my like mixed doubles teammate, so I can't, you know, yeah. I've got to pick her. So. <laughs> uh, next up is the Lithuanian team ranked 186 on the order of Mara, on the order of merit, excuse me, skipped by Asta Vesikionte. I, I there's no way that's even remotely close. I am unfamiliar with this team. Uh, Jonathan, what do you know about them? Not much. They're they're kind of a so they made the playoffs last year. Um, and they actually beat Lisa's team to make the playoffs. Uh, so they're, they're kind of certainly a, a playoff caliber team. They lost to Norway. Um, their results in WCT events this year weren't great. So they were one in 12 in three kind of Eastern European WCT events. Uh, and they've basically kind of been a B or C team for the last few years. So, it's you know this is one of those teams that since they made the playoffs they obviously can but they're also a team that I think I could also just as much envision being in a relegation battle given that one and twelve record in the WCT so uh, they could be all over the map right a, a stereotypical trick or treat team sort of thing yeah that, yeah, yeah exactly uh, next up on the list is Finland a bit of a change on the Finnish side Unakust is not there this year it's Alina. Vertala. So what happened? About who I know nothing. Yeah. I, I think Una uh, stepped away. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm not, they, again, Finland's one of these countries that doesn't have great Olympic funding. So it's a play down format. Um, the, other, the other kind of wrinkle is Finland. So the best you could do in the B is get to the world qualification event. And the interesting wrinkle is Finland is hosting the world qualification event this year. So they've already got their place booked at that event. So this the event is almost like a tune-up then. Uh, it's a, a, a tune-up. I think obviously they're kind of would like to get back up to A's. Um, they did get relegated last year from the A's. Uh, so they're kind of, you know, they're, Finland's a team that perpetually bounces between B and A. So uh, they're certainly kind of a threat for the playoff round. Um, but also they, the pressure is kind of off in a weird way that like they already know right. they've got their, their ticket booked. Whereas every other team in the B is, is grinding it out for one of those two world qualification event spots. 
Right. So so if they get it, does whoever finish third? So like if they finish second or first, does that bronze medal game take on that attic significance then? Yeah. So a little wrinkle. So last year they had the world qualification event in New Zealand and a lot of the European teams turned it down and I kind of felt on very good authority that they went very deep into the B pool last year in terms of who they invited. So a lot of teams, I think like four or five teams turned it down. So they just kind of go down your placement at Euros. If if the country turns it down, just goes to the next country. Okay. Uh, Well, that makes it kind of interesting then, right? Like that if for whatever reason teams don't want to go, you still want to finish, you know, fifth instead of seventh. Yeah, the pl- I mean, placement matters for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, and, da- and like, not just pride. Like, there's a whole bunch of little wrinkles that get uh, doled out here. So, yeah. uh, so let's talk about the class of the the tier two or the of the B side, uh, the Italian team with Veronica Zapone, and then the Hungary team of or the Hungarian team of Dorotia Palenza. Again, my pronunciation of some of these are marginal at best but those are the two teams or the two nations that were relegated from the a side last year and john and then just in looking at order of merit the italian team 142 the hungarian team 121 just looking at it from afar i you know for for all the things that you've said about how some of these other teams are competitive and, and can be good you gotta expect that these two teams will be there at the end of the week don't you yeah, I think so. Italy, I think I put Italy ahead a little bit. Uh, they've got a lot of A experience. They've got world experience. Um, they they actually have a win over Nakajima and Jamie Sinclair's rink this year. So uh, they're a strong team. They, and they, again, like the Finnish team, they do bounce back between B and A. So they're you know they come down, they often go back the next year. Uh, Dorotea Polanska is a bit different. There, she's a kind of experienced. Um, team Hungary, I think, is kind of one of those teams that Canadians are like surprised that Hungary has a, a curling team to begin with, and they're actually quite good. She's, I think, she won uh, the world one of the Wix doubles gold medals with Zoltkis kind of a few years back, so she's actually already a world championship and uh, did really well in juniors. Um, kind of coming out of, kind of got Hungary into the world A's, uh, which was quite an accomplishment then. So again, kind of. Like, Mid, early mid twenties, fair bit of experience. Uh, this is our sixth European Championship, so probably for Canadian viewers, like I said, they're not going to be super familiar with her, but they're a team that is certainly kind of a threat for promotion. Yeah, that's one of those countries, uh, Hungary, that you know, especially at the mixed doubles. When you look up at the end of a week and you're like, "Oh, Hungary made the playoffs!" Like, yeah, you're right. As a Canadian, you're thinking, "Oh, that's kind of weird," but it's been happening happening pretty consistently it's felt like uh, over the past few years that they, they've done pretty well and you know you just assume f- from afar because of that you know you give credit to their development system yeah it's not it's not a deep development system but they do have um you know they've got a curling facility they've actually brought in canadians to help coach at, at kind of critical junctures and that that certainly helps uh and Dorothea is kind of, I think she's kind of been with the same cohort of players all through juniors, up through women's. They've done kind of all the camps. They play a lot on the kind of local tours. They've built up the the necessary experience. Uh, that's why they tend to do really well in this event. So those are the teams in the B side. And Jonathan, based on what I said at the end there, 
Uh, I think my picks are going to be pretty obvious for who I think will be promoted uh, out of this. But what do you got for your two promotion teams? Uh, I'll go England and Italy will be my picks. And how much if you lived in, say, Ireland, yeah. would you would those picks be the exact same? Uh, I th- so honestly, I, th- I do think that Lisa is the strongest skip in the field. I'll, I just even though she's a friend, I've kind of, she's a very good competitive curler. She's won WCT events in Ontario as a skip and qualified for women's provincials as a skip, which is a kind of pretty high standard. Her front ends in experience, but I think in a an event like this, a strong skip can kind of drag you a long way. So yeah, I, I would stick with that. Uh, yeah, I think Italy's kind of got bounced down, but they're going to jump right back up. Um, you know, if I would, if you asked me who, who I pick for the playoffs, I would go England, Italy, Hungary, Finland. And then at that point, who knows? Yeah, that, I think that's fair. I, I'm going to go with Hungary and Italy there. I, I think, yeah, just the class of the field and it'd be great. Yeah. If Lisa has a, a wonderful week, make the playoffs, get that spot. Uh, it would hurt me in terms of the picks, but, uh, but I'm just going to go with Hungary and Italy and stick to the order of merit. And, uh, the fact that they were there last year, I'm going to just say they're going to go right back up. So that's what I got on my side. So what else, is there anything else that you want to say? Does the fact that this is in Sweden matter? Does the location, like what do we expect big crowds for this? Like will, will Anna Hasselberg and Nick Adine, get a nice hometown or home nation push do you think uh i don't think so i the only the only country in europe well i guess scotland does all right on the crowds but switzerland's the one european country where the crowds actually do show up i'd say for these events um sweden's nice maybe maybe they'll get a bit i think like nicodine and Anna hasselberg are kind of sort of celebrities now because of their olympic performance outside the the swedish curling uh, community um, for as a player, Scandinavia is really expensive. <laughs> it's the kind of one thing from my experience there. So, for the self-funded teams, that hurts a bit. Uh, the flip side is everything is really nice in Sweden. Like uh, I had to coach one year up in kind of mid Sweden, which is really far north. And uh, like even in this town, like the bakery, the bread was amazing, the coffee was amazing. It's it's kind of a you know an amazing country. So in terms of the other parts of your event, it's high quality. So you don't have to worry about food. Um, the, the accommodations are going to be comfortable, which is not always the case uh, at different, depending on the event you're playing at. And yeah, that makes a difference over the course of the week, right? I remember when Amber Holland won the Scotties, she was saying the year before they hadn't planned for things like meals or anything. And they had, they were staying in a hotel and in between games, she was eating a sub on the floor of the locker room and thinking that this can't be the best way to be successful over a week. And uh, then the next year they had rented a house and had a kitchen and had somebody come and do all the meals and stuff. And it's those things that, you know, as a club player, you just show up and play. But when you're at, you know, certainly your level and these teams level where you're traveling and and playing in these long events, those things that you kind of take for granted playing at home, even in a, weekend bond spiel in a hotel it's whatever but over the course of the week that matters and so having some comfort and having some familiarity with what's going on around you that just you know the less stress right the easier these events have to be 
Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, it's basically comfort is the hotel or the place you're staying at comfortable. Food really matters. Um, and especially, I think most teams now just get an Airbnb because the best is just to be able to cook food as a team. You kind of can control the quality, make sure it's nutritious because uh, if you're running around looking for fast, you know, junk food or whatever between games, it's going to affect your performance, right? If you're stuck trying to grab a Subway or a McDonald's or whatever, it's not, it's yeah. not good for a team over the course of the week. So, yeah, those things really do matter. And, uh, you know, I, I've talked talking to people who've played a lot internationally. Like, you know, they'll say, especially if it's an unfamiliar culture that can throw you. Like, I've heard lots of interesting stories about teams playing in China, and that's that's a really different uh, food environment and kind of cultural environment. And some people can adapt really well to that, but other teams can be can be thrown for a loop pretty quickly. So, you know, for I think for Europe, Sweden's kind of very high standard of living and pretty comfortable place to play. Yeah, and it'll be a lot of fun to watch as the A and B side gets started later this week on November the 16th over there in Helsingborg, Sweden. So, Jonathan, in terms of English curling, what is next for you? Oh, for me? Oh, well, this weekend, the very important Kenton Sussex Bonspiel is going on at Fenton's Rink. So I'm assuming that the World Curling Federation YouTube will break from the Euros to cover that. Yeah, it'll you know, be, the, you know, fantastic. it's a more prestigious event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. So, yeah, no, uh, that'll be fun. Uh, we broke our team up from last year, so now I'm playing against, so half my team is playing as the other half of my team. So, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. All right, a grudge match, I like it. A grudge match, yeah. Um, and then for the uh, so what else the the junior stuff is is coming up with the English have you had the English Nationals yet leading into the junior bees so the English juniors is in April and we do that because the world bees are December so there's not and the rink only opens October so they basically have eight weeks from when the rink opens to get ready uh, for the world bees. So they're, they're all set to go. So the team I, I coached, they won last year. Uh, they were just up in Scotland this last weekend and, uh, they went two and two in a junior spiel up there. Their, their two losses were against kind of quality teams. So there wasn't any shame in that. They, they did well against the other teams they played. So, uh, it's kind of pretty good form. They actually went to Latvia and played a challenger tier two challenger spiel and, uh, got some, Got some lessons the hard way. So they they offered there, uh, but uh, they're going to they're gonna be playing in the spiel too this weekend, and then um, yeah, we go off to uh, where are we going? Finland, to Loya, back to Loya, uh, second weekend ah. in December. Nice, yeah. That, that you know, it sounds fun. Just to you know, I don't know if it is fun, but it sounds fun. I I actually love it. I I love like all the international events are just amazing. You just meet people from all over the world, and I think especially the Junior B, it's just such a random assortment of countries. So Sweden, on the men's side, got relegated. USA Women got relegated this year, as did the Scottish women. So some of the teams you normally associate as being kind of world powers are down in the B, and they'll have to fight to get back up. Uh, and we've got a pretty interesting assortment of teams in our pool. So, yeah, I mean, we're trying to get back to the playoffs again this year. And then once you're in the playoffs, you just see what happens, right? Yeah. Uh, so hopefully all goes well with that. 
And of course, you can always find Jonathan Rocks Across the Pond uh, with Ryan. Uh, and you guys, how's the, you announced that you're going to start writing some strategy stuff. Uh, where can people find all that kind of good content that you guys are putting out? Let's go to you. Thanks for reminding me. We've got two in the can. So I should kind of post those maybe every week or every other week, and then I'll start kind of popping some other ones up. There's a couple up already. So our website's also rocksacrossthepond.com, and you can get our episodes there. So it's one place you can listen to them if you're not getting them through the normal podcast uh, lists. And then we're going to try to start adding some writing content over the course of the season. I fell a little bit behind with all the curling, but uh, try to get a few more out before Christmas. Yeah, so definitely go subscribe to Rocks Across the Pond if you have not done that yet. Jonathan, the professor of Peel there with Ryan, uh, providing all the news and views on the world of curling. And I love listening to you guys uh, if in, in small part because you have a very different perspective from what Scott and I offer too, and uh, which is good because Scott and I, I think, are on the same page a lot. So it's nice to, have diff- to hear different perspectives uh, and you and Ryan do a really good job uh, bouncing back and forth, uh, which I know logistically can be hard given that you are quite literally across the pond <laughs> from each other. But anything's possible with the internet. And I mean, the fact that we were able to meet was basically through the internet too. So it was great to meet you when I was in Ottawa. And it's been great to do this one today. So thanks for having me on. And yeah, we, we love listening to your podcast too. And I've got to go listen to your uh slam review because i'm often in bed when the slam final is going on so i don't often don't get to see the slam so i I actually like listening to to your reviews afterwards as well as the previews for the slams for sure oh well thank you and uh, you know yesterday's was not the episode it's i think the episode was fine but the games were great yesterday uh, too so uh yeah they were there there was a lot to talk about there was a lot of meat on those bones uh yesterday so uh so yeah definitely uh check that out and thank you jonathan for the time as well and with all due respect i hope you and ryan get absolutely crushed in this <laughs> all right well this is going to be fun uh, it was a lot of fun last year and we'll see we, we've been a little bit hot with uh fantasy curling which makes me worry that we're we're going to experience a regression to mean here. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I have done poorly on fantasy curling. Uh, first event, I forgot to hit the submit button. And the second event, uh, I was in the lower half of the field. I was in the hundreds. So uh, this is the start of my career. All right. Well, we'll see how it goes. All right. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And uh, for everyone else, if you have not yet to subscribe to our show, please do subscribe to the Game of Stones uh, wherever you get your shows. Uh, do the, lo- the the reviews and the likes and all that stuff to keep the show going. Help other people find it. Also, find us on Twitter, Instagram, at Game of Stones Pod. You can email the show, Game of Stones Podcast, at twitter.com. Find Scott over on Rocks Across the Pond with Ryan this week. And you can find him on social media at Scott Likes TV. I'm at Dr. Shawnee Fever. And we'll be back with you again next week. But until then, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern.